podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Before introducing the topic and the guest for this episode, we thank Jane Ubel Meyer for making this interview possible. Jane is the inspiring woman behind the Bedside Reading Program. To learn more about her work, please visit bedsidereading.com. Find and ignite your inner spark. It's time to light the fire in your belly, to kindle your passion, and be the spark that creates the change you want to see in yourself, your life, company, and the world. Where there is no spark, there's no joy. Where there is no joy, there is no voice. Where there is no voice, there is no freedom, says Simon T. Bailey. This episode is about self-empowerment, success, love, inner strength, and beyond. And today, we'll be listening to Simon T. Bailey, who is an author, breakthrough strategist, and speaker. Simon equips companies with the tools necessary to affect cultural transformation, resulting in higher employee engagement and platinum customer service experiences. He challenges individuals to dig deep to find and release their inner brilliance and become chief breakthrough officers, both personally and professionally. Simon has been named one of the top 25 people who will help you reach your business and life goals by Success Magazine. Joining a list that includes Brene Brown, Tony Robbins, and Oprah Winfrey. He is the author of 10 books, including his most recent release, Be the Spark, Five Platinum Service Principles for Creating Customers for Life. His courses on lynda.com, Building Business Relationships, Finding a Sponsor, and Leading Through Relationships have been viewed by thousands of people worldwide. His Goldcast video has over 87 million views. To read Simon's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org forward slash podcast. Here's the interview with Simon T. Bailey. 
in your own words, who is Simon T. Bailey? Hmm. I am a searcher, a thinker, a person who is forever curious and looking for ways to hug people with my words. What is another word for life? I would say another word for life would be spirituality. Right. Uh, what is spirituality to you and how is being spiritual different from being religious? Yeah. So spirituality to me is being intentional about having a relationship with what some may call a higher power, creator of the universe, whatever your pleasure might be. And it's being intentional to communicate and build that relationship on a daily basis. And the difference between spirituality and religion is religion is man-made that at times is tied to dogma, tradition, and the opinions of men, whereas spirituality invites person into a relationship with their higher power, and you build that on an ongoing basis. I love that, though. How do we know we are having this relationship with our higher power or God, the creator, whatever name we give to it? Right. I think, and I can only use myself as an example, um, for me, building that relationship with what I would call God is taking time to pray, meditate, reflect. Um, I'm also uh, an avid student of the Bible and really trying to understand that uh, my life and how I live it may be the only Bible that people read and it is a reflection of my direct connection to God. So how am I showing up every single day to be an instrument of good in the earth that reflects his nature? Yeah, I love that. Uh, your life being the reflection of what we believe God is. What is the definition of success and how is to be significant different than being successful? Success is about achieving a goal. Significance is about bringing others along with you as you achieve the goal. So if success is about me, significance is about we. How do we become uh, more significant together, not just by ourselves? Yeah, right. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Freedom is the ability to make choices that are not driven by others' opinions, others' decrees, others who want to you know, use your time. And you now have the freedom to make the choice to do what is right instead of what is convenient or, or what someone is telling you to do. So coming to a place of freedom is that you get to choose how to make the biggest difference every minute of the day. That makes me think about self-love. It's something that I talk about a lot. And I try to uh, understand the difference between the practice of self-love and the practice of being selfish, pleasing ourselves and trying to please others. How do we know when we are practicing self-love and not selfishness. 
Yeah. So love desires to give at the expense of self. So when I am expressing self-love, I'm being intentional about helping the least, the last, the lost, being kind to someone who can do nothing for me, because love is the extension of self, whereas a person who is selfish is uh, you desire to do something at the expense of another. So who can I take from? Um, your, your hand is always closed. When you come from a place of self-love, your hand is always open because an open hand is always full. It's counterintuitive. So when I'm selfish, I'm coming from a place of scarcity. But when I come from a place of self-love, I believe in abundance and there is more than enough for everyone. Beautiful. What is your greatest joy? My greatest joy is to wake up every single day, open my eyes to touch another life through the power of the written word, through video, through some of the mentoring that we do, and to get feedback at some point in the future on what did they do that they saw a result or transformation in their life because of them. And all I was, was the farmer who planted the thought seed in the soil of their soul. And as that thought seed was nurtured and watered over time, they produced the harvest and end result. So I was just the person who woke up with joy and happiness in my heart to sow a seed. What is the world's greatest need, in your opinion? I believe the world's greatest need is to find a way to love those who feel lonely and those who feel lost and those who feel less than. So how do we now begin to show up in life wherever we are in the four corners of the globe and love people to life? How do we love people who perhaps may be a widow, might have lost a loved one, may have just um, been laid off from a job, business went belly up, or perhaps let's go the opposite way. A person who's saying, I'm feeling great and I'm on top of the world, but there is something missing. I don't have a purpose. So if we come from a place of love, it's when I'm loving, I am on purpose and I'm able to be emotionally intelligent enough to see what is happening around me and not just be so focused on me. Oh, yes. Um, How do we learn to love people that we can easily judge as bad and evil and all that? Well, a person that has a need to judge, they are really projecting what is happening in them. So sometimes uh, people don't see you as you are, they see you as they are, but you become the dumping ground for their toxic thinking. So whenever a person has a need to patch judgment, it's because of a deeper issue that's happening in them that they haven't dealt with. So literally you hear it and you you, uh, reject it, you send it back to them and say, I do not receive what is being said in the spirit that is being said 
because obviously there is a flaw in you that you choose to project onto me and I'm not going to accept it. So true. I'm wondering um, if this can be understood by those who don't yet understand love at this deeper level. How do we learn not to judge them and still display compassion? Well, one of the things we have to realize is that choices create consequences. So if a person chooses to come from a place that harms human beings, then that person, because of the laws of the land, will reap the consequences of their choice. So we have to start there, number one, and having that understanding because we don't want to have compassion and error of, of overlooking what someone has done. That's number one. Number two, then we come from a place of how, if we have the ability to directly impact that person in a positive way, how do we help them rehabilitate themselves to life? That could mean that that person is receiving some therapy or counseling, uh, that person is in a program or something that helps them grow out of the behavior that caused them to end up uh, dealing with the consequences of their choice, right? But never to judge, but to always to support. So if it is a family member who is on the receiving end of a bad decision, a bad choice, we don't uh, condemn them uh, but what we do is we make sure they have all of the tools that are available, that while they are a living being, that they can now opt in and choose to be better. Now, it may take time, but if they submit themselves to the process of saying, I want to be different, I want to be better, I don't want to be that person that ended up here, I think we have to come alongside them and give them all of the tools and all of the aid that they possibly uh, can handle. And if yet they still do not grow from their decision, we have done all that we can do. And then it's up to them to decide when, where, how, and why. Yeah. Uh, give them that, uh, I don't know if you call it free will or that space, yeah, to grow on their own. Huh? I love the way you, you brought this close to us, family members, people around us. That's a great way of practicing compassion. Really great. Um, you say that changing lives is my purpose. It is like breathing air. How and when do we know we need to change? A person knows they need to change when they become uncomfortable being comfortable. Everyone has a frustration tolerance, a level of frustration that when you hit it, that's your button that's been pushed. But then here's the deal. Change is inevitable. We've heard that. But growth is optional. So number one, when I become frustrated. Number two, when I become sick and tired of being sick and tired. Number three, when whatever I'm doing no longer works for me and I know it and I'm going to stop complaining about it and do something about it, that's when you're ready to change. You will not change until the pain has become greater than the success on the other side. So until you really experience real pain, you're not going to change. You're going to go on and do the same thing you've always done. So there are many people listening to us right now who they are in a painful job, not per se physical pain, but it might be emotional or mental pain. And until that pain becomes greater, 
than just getting a paycheck to show up. You'll never break into purpose or destiny or do anything differently because it doesn't hurt bad enough. It's it's okay. And the sad thing is people become accustomed and they begin to settle for where they are instead of reaching for the person they might have been. Wow, true. The challenge might be, uh, in this case, uh, not numbing the pain. Most people do that. They use external mechanisms, I don't know, drugs and um, all kinds of things. What do you say about these uh, coping mechanisms that can numb our pain? Well, then I think a, a person, he or she has to evaluate, do they love themselves? Because when you love who you are and when you love where you're going, you will never abuse your body or put things into your body that do not help you become better long term. So now some may say, Simon, I disagree because a part of why I take drugs or the reason why I'm an alcoholic is because I love myself. I, I am going to live longer. But if you are a person who's in tune, you know that the, the things that you're putting in your body will have a uh, negative impact. And if you're saying that you love doing that, then that's on you. But I think when individuals truly love themselves for who they are, they will not cut their life short or prevent themselves from not living a fulfilled life. Right. From growth. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is the purpose of life in general? The purpose of life, in my opinion, is to love yourself, love your family, love your neighbor, and make and leave the world a better place than you found it. So, for instance, my mother, like everyone who's listening, your mother carried you in the womb for nine months. What was encoded in the womb was your purpose, your, your ability, your potential, your genius, right? And you come out of the womb to now release that genius or brilliance into the world. But if you do not release it during your life time. That is not your mother's fault. She did her part. Uh, she brought you into the world. Now the rest is on you to decide uh, that if I'm going to leave an imprint on the canvas of time, it is so not about me, but it's about how do I find myself uh, getting to something greater than myself. And that is the meaning of life. That's when you know your life really really is valuable. So let's talk about leadership. What is to be a leader and what defines great leadership? So number one, what defines great leadership is a man or woman who are, are in touch with where they are, self-aware, emotionally intelligent, socially intelligent, and they understand that the job of a leader is to invite men and women on a journey to discover the leader within themselves while they're following you. So a leader cannot take people to a place he or she has not been themselves. That's number one. Number two, uh, a leader understands how to be vulnerable, operate in intellectual humility, and forever be curious. And if I was to add one more, come from a servant's disposition. So a leader, he or she, 
will always ask the question at some level, whether they verbally say it or do it in their actions, they will say, how can I best serve you? Because when I serve in the moment, I am leading in service. And the third thing that comes as a result of that is leadership is caught and taught. So somebody is following me somewhere, whether I have the title of a leader or if I lead without a title. How am I showing up in my behaviors, in my habits, in my verbal communication, in my emotional wherewithal? All of those things are creating the leadership brand that I stand for. And a brand is not the title or position because real leaders understand that who you are is bigger than what you do. So a title on a business card does not distinguish that you're a leader. Uh, A leader really understands that how I show up and serve humanity, be it in a a for-profit business, non-profit business, or whatever, that is the difference that I make as a leader. So it's more than having money in the bank, titles, positions, all those accoutrements of success. It's understanding that when the chips are down, can people count on you to be the light in the midst of darkness? That's a leader. What are some of your favorite leaders or some references that you live by? Dr. Uh, Miles Monroe, who was probably one of the greatest influences on my life, he often said that where there is no purpose, abuse is inevitable. Uh, General Colin Powell, who enough just cannot be said about him. Uh, I, I think even Steve Jobs, just looking at how he transformed three industries, and obviously, you know, there's enough out there, but a person who really, that I'm, I'm really wrapping my, my hair around that was a leader of leaders is Mother Teresa. The ability to serve the poor, uh, the ability to go beyond herself, to say, how do I help orphans and children and poor people? Uh, it's just commendable. And I think enough is not said about Mother Teresa, even though she's been dead for, for many years now. Uh, I think everyone can look at a leader and say, wait a minute, she touched something in humanity. And what can we learn from that? How amazing that you mentioned her. Yeah, I didn't expect uh, her name to come up, right? What do you mean when you say, I am perfectly imperfect? So for many years, I had a need to impress people who didn't care about who I was. And I I really was waking up every day striving to be in the right circles, the right events, to be seen by the right people who could hook me up. And what I recognized after riding that horse to nowhere for many decades, it was empty. And so when I embrace the fact that I am flawed, I have failed, and I'm perfectly imperfect. In other words, I embrace my imperfections. I embrace that I was in the bottom half of the class that made the top half of of the class possible. I embrace that I was a college dropout. I did go back to college. It took me 10 years to finish my degree. I embrace that I was imperfect in being born in the third poorest city in America. 
Buffalo, New York. I embrace those imperfections. I embrace that I am a black man in America. What else do I need to say? I embraced all that and begin to recognize I have a daily choice. I can either change the zip code that I was in by changing my mindset. So literally, I had to relocate uh, to a new mental zip code and not live into the zip code from whence I was born and raised and recognize that, that it's okay to be imperfect and to love it and to embrace it, but doggone it, grow from it and don't pitch a tent and, 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 and think that this is the way it's going to be for the rest of your life. Wow. I love that, Simon. I love, love that. So let's talk about the content of your book, Be the Spark, Five Platinum Service Principles for Creating Customers for Life. So what is this spark mindset and how exactly did you discover yours? Yeah, so give you the research. Um, we asked the question, our team, what is it that we know about organizations, businesses, places that people loved, frequent, and experience? And what we discovered, each organization or business has a spark, a man or woman who shows up every single day to go the extra inch. There are six inches from your right ear to your left ear and from your left ear to your right ear. So in other words, when I think about being in service to others, it's not just about me but it's understanding how do I listen to you and make you the most important person. So how a person can find their spark is to first of all, quit their job and go to work because a job stands for just overboard. When a person goes to work, they understand that a paycheck is given to people who show up, but opportunities are given to people who work beyond what they're paid to do. And I work beyond what I'm paid to do because I have this spark. I have this fire in my belly. I have this energy that causes me to get up and say, I'm not waiting for the tap on the shoulder to be asked to do more. I'm going to do more, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I have the spark and I'm living from the inside out. Yeah, that connects to the word purpose, like knowing your purpose, knowing what you're doing here. Um, I know you mentioned that, that the spark has a lot to do with knowing who you are and what you're doing here. How do we get there? Like most of us who don't understand this idea, how do we begin even to understand who we are and what our purpose is? I think there are four questions that we have to answer, and these questions were given to me by my mentor, Dr. Miles Monroe. Question number one, where have you been? So it's the ability to look back through the, tele, the microscope of time to say, how did I get to this point? That's number one. Number two, why am I here? The greatest tragedy in life is not blindness. The greatest tragedy in life is to have sight but no vision. So when I begin to say, why am I here? I'm trying to envision a new reality that has not showed up and then beginning to put meat on the bones to say, how do I bring what is, from, what is in the invisible to the visible? That's number two. Number three, what can I do? The what can I do question is, is understanding Dr. Christian Mirsku, who is a psychologist at Princeton University and their psychology department says, when the brain is worried, 
the brain slows down. When the brain slows down, it doesn't create neurogenesis, which is the process of growing neurons, which grows the brain. So my brain slows down because of worry, stress, and fear. But the what can I do question becomes that control-alt-delete question that deletes from my mind drive and my heart drive those things that slow me down. So the what can I do question puts you on the path to, you know, what's my purpose? Why am I here? And then the fourth question is, where am I going? So if there are four seasons in the world and different parts of the world, there might be two seasons, hot and hotter. But if there are four seasons, four quarters, the, the four, every 90 days, a person should self-assess and say, where am I going in the next quarter? How did I get here? What am I going to do differently? What are the relationships that I am attracting? What are the relationships that I've been repelling? And what am I going to do to position myself to receive the person that I was meant to be? Now, here's the other reason why this is important. Scientists say that your blood cells change every 90 to 100 days. So every 90 to 100 days, you have, you have new blood cells within you. So that means just in, in, in your body, biologically, you have moved on to the new new. So how do I begin to think about these four questions in the context of who you are emerging to become? You mentioned fear. That's such a powerful drive um, for most of us. Is fear the opposite of love? Would you say that? Fear is the opposite of belief in yourself and belief in what you're called to do. Fear is false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. So I am putting more belief in something that has not happened that could hurt me than in believing in something that could happen that will help me. So fear is the opposite of, of belief. The opposite of belief. So you talk about creating a moment uh, and creating a culture that captures the hearts and the minds of others. Does it mean also creating this kind of moment for ourselves, being that moment as well? Yes, absolutely, Dave. Absolutely. One of the things that I am intentional about is I wake up every single day to create a moment. For me, a moment starts with meditation. It starts with writing in my journal. It starts with sitting quietly and contemplating the day. That's how I create a moment internally before I show up externally. Um, in life, if you ever go through days when you're like, oh my goodness, what happened to the day? Go back to the start of the day, because how you start the day determines the day. So it's that intentionality to wake up every single day and to create the moments, because moments create momentum, momentum creates monumental results. So when, I, when you look at the work of Dr. Daniel Kahneman, Professor Meredith at Princeton, a Nobel Prize winning laureate, he says that there are 19,200 daily moments. So when I understand that there are 19,200 daily moments, I become very mindful that a moment is just a moment in time. It's here today and it's gone quickly. So how do I now begin to compound moments by slowing down in order to speed up? How do I savor the moments? How do I listen more than uh, more than hear? How do I ask more than tell? How do I be more than do? 
and it's all in the moment. Yeah, right. So in order to create that moment, you've got to be the moment yourself to create the space, right? Correct. Yeah, you, you can't be the spark for anybody else. And you can ignite the blaze in anybody else if it hasn't started with you. But what might just be a flicker, right, a flicker of hope of a better future, the more you begin to fan that flicker, it becomes the spark which ignites the blaze. So true. You talk about sustainable transformation. So I wonder what that is and what would be a good example of that? So let's look at this personally and we look at it as it relates to business. Sustainable transformation is I want really nice teeth, right? I, I don't want to go to the dentist and have the dentist pull my teeth because they're rotten. How do you have sustainable, transformative teeth that last a long time? You brush twice a day. You floss. And every quarter three to four times a year, you go to the dentist for the ongoing deeper cleaning of what your toothbrush doesn't get to. So over time, you have sustainable transformation of you have a healthy oral uh, body in, in, your, in your mouth because you've done what you needed to do. In other words, you do it every single day. Now, a, a business example, when we look at any business that thrives over time, they have systems in place that allow them to have sustainable transformation. For example, they hire the best talent and they make sure that the talent works for a manager that sees everyone on the team as a human being, not just a human doing. So that manager or that boss, he or she understands how to connect with that person, not telling them what to do, but inviting them on a journey to discover how do we do it together better. And over time, they sustain results. So in other words, they have a profitable bottom line. They have lower turnover. They have more people that want to work in that business all because sustainable transformation is not the vision and mission statement that lives on the website. It lives in the head and the hearts of men and women, and it impacts the hands. So it's understanding that everybody that works in a business, they have a head drive, a heart drive, and a hand drive. You've got to reach the heart before you get to the head, because once you reach the heart, you get to the head, and then it controls the hands and the feet will follow. True, that makes so much sense to me. I love the way you uh, gave the example, the personal example, the teeth hygiene. And uh, the, the business example, it made me think um, of a question. Let me see if it makes sense here. So these companies, they have a system where they hire uh, managers that they have certain qualities, that they see other humans, not just as human doings, but human beings. I'm wondering what those qualities are in those people, those managers. I think, first of all, that manager, he or she has the ability to listen deeply to what's important to other individuals. Number two, that manager, he or she continues to do their work. In other words, they are a learner, they are a searcher, they are growing and developing themselves, right? So they have the ability to understand, how do I coach? Uh, how do I how do I lead? How do I encourage? How do I give feedback? How do I demonstrate? How do I understand a person's learning style and come alongside and guide them into high performance instead of forcing and pushing them 
into higher performance. And I think the other thing that managers or leaders uh, do well is they upgrade their verbal software. They understand that language is the programming software of the mind. So how do I begin to use language that motivates men and women to become the best version of themselves and move my ego out of the way because ego is edging greatness out. And when I put my ego aside, I recognize that the team becomes better when everybody understands what we are trying to accomplish. And oh, by the way, side benefit, that person benefits becoming the best version of themselves because they're working with a leader who is totally tapped into pulling out of that person their genius, their brilliance, their insight, and their potential. You mentioned the ego. What is the ego exactly? Ego. Ego is pride. It's uh, sometimes fear. Ego is this need to puff up. And to make people think that you're something that you're really not. The emperor doesn't have any clothes. Ego is the thing that you project to keep people at arm's length from you. Ego is the do not disturb sign that people hang around their neck when they don't want their world disturbed or rocked. And what it causes is for relationships to be anemic. It causes people to not really uh, connect with them. They communicate, but there's no deeper connection. And so when a person is very ego-driven, they are more internally focused, but they externally project that they are large and in charge. And the reality is they're a little boy or a little girl that were never healed from the flaws of youth. So when I begin to let go of my ego, it's because I've done the deeper work of, of saying, what do I need to let go of ego so I can let come humility and be the best version of myself here in the world? Oh, well said. Um, I know you had lots of shifts in, in perspective. What are some of the most profound shift in perspective you had? I think for me, um, one of the most profound shifts that I've had in my journey is just because you go through a divorce, it does not mean it's the end of your world and the end of your life. And you can get back up again and not make the person you divorce the victim, but being invited into a larger conversation with yourself to say, where did I drop the ball? Where did I miss the mark? And how do I become better uh, today and forever? So, so it's the awareness of saying, I want to be better today than I was yesterday, because a divorce does not define me. It determines if I'm going to bounce back, uh, despite of what happened. Right. Yeah. Resilience, right, Simon? I have another question here about the spark mindset. Um, is this spark mindset an ever-evolving one, and how has it changed for you? The spark mindset is forever evolving because... When you're fanning the flames of new thinking, you never settle for what served you in one season. You are constantly updating and say, what is it that I need to learn 
and fan my thinking in this season for who I become in the process. So for me, I'm constantly reading, writing, listening, unlearning. So for instance, for example, uh, for years, I wanted to hold on to my website the way it was. It had 40 pages with lots of wording on there until someone came along and introduced new thought that people don't really read. They scroll and pictures connect 60,000 times faster than words. Well, now new thinking has been introduced that is inviting me to fan a new way of going. So I said, okay, I have got to give up uh, what I've held on to because it was my comfort zone. And it's back to what we talked earlier about change. I had to say, okay, I got to let go of this because if I don't let go, I'm going to miss my timing my season and relationships that would have come, but they would have avoided me because they would see that I'm not there yet, that I'm not embracing the new, new. Uh, and, and here's the reality. I say it to you like this, within the old is the new and within the new is the old. So how do we begin to embrace things for who we become in the process? In your book, you quote uh, Maya Angelou. You say, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. So my question is, in business, what are some of the most unforgettable moments based on how someone made you feel? I'll give you a simple one that happens often at Chick-fil-A. When you go to Chick-fil-A, Uh, which is uh, for those who are outside the United States, fast food, quick service restaurant. Uh, at Chick-fil-A, they ask you what your name is when they're taking your order. Okay? I don't know any other establishment that does that. But then the second thing they do when you're giving your order and you say thank you, they say my pleasure. And that for me is just the moment of an experience that happens in five minutes or less, right? I think if I just give you another example, I was going to the Ritz-Carlton in Cayman Islands, and I'm at the front desk. They say, your room is not ready. Can you wait in the lounge? I'm waiting in the lounge area. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Howard comes over to me, and he says, hi, Mr. Bailey. Uh, welcome. Here's my card. I'm going to take care of you while you're here. And he's just chatting me up. And then he says to me, How was your trip to Halifax, Nova Scotia? And I looked at him with the Scooby-Doo voice. How did you know I went to Halifax, Nova Scotia? And he said, I went on your Instagram feed to see where you were before coming to the Ritz-Carlton. Well, as you can imagine, he is now my new BFF in that moment because he took the time to go beyond what he had been paid to do to find out where I was. I'll give you an example that just happened in the last few days. I um, had to take Uber to the airport uh, at 3.30 a.m. in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm picked up by Angie, the Uber driver. And I say, hey, Angie, how you doing? 3.30 in the morning. My goodness, you always drive these hours. And Angie says to me, first of all, I'm not an Uber driver. I'm a car hostess. Okay, right there, she shifts my thinking. And for the next 30 to 45 minutes to the airport, she begins to tell me how she has driven over 30,000 passengers, 7,500 trips, and what she learned from that experience. In that instant, Angie 
became a person who had the spark, who was not just there to do a job, but there to create a moment. Yeah. What a great example. Yeah. Great, great. You also wrote, establishing a culture where everyone matters and creating deeper connections with team members starts with love. Mm -hmm. What is love to you? Love is the ability to understand where you are, what you need, and how I can best serve you. Uh, love is the ability to, if I have the last dollar in my pocket and you are hungry or in need, I will give to you, knowing because of the law of reciprocity, what goes around comes around. I don't look for the ROI from you, the return on investment from you. I know that within the universe, something good is going to happen to me. So when I love, I'm constantly looking for ways to pay it forward and to put good into the world, knowing that in me loving in that moment, I may not benefit from it, but my children's children's children will benefit because of the good that I put out into the world. That's love. What a great definition. What is the difference between emotional commitment and rational commitment? Emotional commitment is I do what I do because I want to do something. I am intentional about doing it, and I'm going to go beyond the art and science of of serving, right? Rational commitment is I do what I do because I have to do it. So for instance, if you rent a home or if you have a mortgage to pay, you have rational commitment because if you don't pay it, you will be on the streets, right? So you have, I have to do this. But then emotional commitment says, I pay the mortgage, but I'm going to take this house and I'm going to create a home by filling it with the energy of love. So I, I emotionally commit to doing what I want to do, peaceful home, happy home, lovely home, so that I can share it with friends and family. Yeah. Wow. We've been talking about love a lot in this conversation, which is so wonderful that you uh, connect, you, you just bring this energy of love into what you do. Um, as a job, as, as work. Um, that's the inspiration. How wonderful. I have a few questions for you, but before I ask them, would you like to add anything that I might have not covered? No, I just say, yeah, no, thank you for the great job that you're doing. I really appreciate this opportunity to serve your audience. So you're doing just fine. Oh, thank you, Simon. So my final questions, what is to be strong? To be strong is to understand when I am weak, I am strong because it's in my weakness that I discover on the other side of it is strength to succeed, to thrive, to move forward with my life, right? Um, so to be strong is to realize I don't become strong without understanding my failure or an area that I'm weak in, right? I think also being strong is to celebrate what's right about you instead of what's wrong with you. It's, um, I, I was in high school and I went out for uh, uh, sports and I got cut from every team that I joined or attempted to join 
And I ended up doing track and field cross country because I was not the fastest brother on the track, right? So I quickly realized that that was not a strength for me, athletics. Where I was strong was having the ability to have a platinum tongue. I have what Dr. Howard Gardner from uh, who's professor of education at Harvard calls, I have linguistic intelligence. So that's where my strength is. I am comfortable in that I use words like a surgeon uses a knife, like a plumber uses a wrench, like a carpenter uses a hammer. So I'm strong in who I am and I embrace that. And I don't feel jealous because you can do something better than I can. I stay in my swim lane. And when I stay in my swim lane, I become stronger, like Michael Phelps. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, isn't it true? Like you just embracing your unique gifts. Yeah, that's what makes us strong. How beautiful. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? I think the hardest lesson for me was embracing the fact that I'm a black man in America and seeing it as a blessing and not a curse. Um, understanding that though the media may project that most men who look like me are dead in jail, on drugs, don't take care of their children, and just, you know, on the side of a road was so untrue uh, for me because I recognized there were positive images for every negative image that was being projected. So I recognized I had to change the channel on my internal tell a vision. And I had to project an image of what I could be instead of what I was told uh, this is the way it would be. Do you love yourself unconditionally? Oh my God, I love me. Oh my goodness, do I, I love me. It's really good to be Simon T. Bailey. It's really good to be me. It really is. I wouldn't want to be anybody else. <laughs> um, you have no idea how um, so many people, they pause to answer this question, and a lot of them say no. Mm. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, as I don't believe in permanent death, would you change anything? If I could change anything, I wish I would have read to my children from the time they were conceived in their mother's womb um, till the time when they were younger. I was so busy working, trying to put food on the table, keep a roof over our head, um, that I missed that moment. I would have read to my children. They are fine. They are amazing young adults. But I just, uh, understanding that a child forms their thinking uh, and, and things are imprinted from zero to four, I just wish that they would have, uh, now their mother read to them, but I just wish as their father that I would have read to them more. Because I think there's, there's some things that I missed uh, in that moment. Right. That's the speaking of the past. Is there anything that's happening in the present that you would change? Um, yeah, bring my father back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that's cute. Yeah, I think, I think, I think also in the present, I would, I would probably just continue to focus on being a better father first and a businessman second. Interesting to hear that. Because I think sometimes we chase money and have no meaning. We pursue power and have no purpose. And we chase status but have no success or satisfaction 
like we really should. And so it's about keeping the main thing the main thing. Mm. Do you believe in life after death? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of life? <laughs> well, my goal is to uh, make it to heaven and to have uh, uh, the pearly gates open for me and I'm welcomed in because of the good deeds and the life that I've lived on earth. So I believe in heaven. Uh, I believe in, in heaven as my afterlife. That is the ethos that I come from. Wow. And in a way, this heaven you speak of is just uh, happening here right now for being the person you are. That's the, what I see. Um, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Love is not what it says. It's what it does. Uh, you can't love yourself by yourself. You have to understand love in the context of a community, a relationship. And, and really uh, being supported by others who get you. And I think the third thing that I know for sure is the richest place in the entire world is the cemetery. People who took their potential, their genius, their brilliance to the grave with them, and they didn't die empty. So I know that to be true because I look at people who show up every single day who go to punch a clock at a job that they are just biding the time and can't wait to retirement. And I'm like, why live that way? Because you're like the walking dead. Uh, you are, you're alive, but nobody's at home. Um, the elevator stopped going to the top. Uh, you're just going through the motions. And so what I know to be true is when you really decide to live your life, you create it on the fly every single day. And you're like, I'm here and I'm going to add value and make the biggest difference possible. That uh, very interesting. Number three. Um, so in a way, what you're saying that those who truly live, they never die. Mm -hmm. Has been a beautiful, genuine, open hearted conversation, Simon. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, future projects? People can go to Simon T, T like terrific, Bailey, B-A-I-L-E-Y, B like brilliant, A-I-L-E-Y dot com, Simon T Bailey dot com. So you get it terrifically brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> That's easy to get. <laughs> All of us want that anyway. It's easy to memorize. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, what a beautiful presence. Thank you. Okay. Already. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Simon. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Simon T. Bailey, please visit his website, simontbailey.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now.